0: welcome to the hammer where we hit the nail on the head with insights from the world of canadian renovation and custom home contracting now here's your host the editor of canadian contractor magazine adam Friel,
1: everybody i'm adam freil my guest today is brian quarter the ceo and president of build block building systems brian is on the board of directors of the insulating concrete forms manufacturers association or icfma where he chairs the marketing committee this international association works on both sides of the border and has resources available to help builders with training and other support materials on this building technology if you have thought about using this kind of product Hopefully, my conversation with Brian will answer a few questions. He and his organization are, are a wealth of information, so please be sure to visit their website, whose details are in the podcast. Enjoy. Thank you. I'd just like to um, welcome our guest to this episode of... Uh, of The Hammer. Brian Corder is the CEO and president of Block Building Systems, a globally recognized manufacturer of insulating concrete forms. He is responsible for leading the company's management team and board of directors and developing and executing long-term strategies for sustainable and profitable growth. In addition to his role at BuildBlock, Brian serves on the board of directors and and chairs the marketing committee of the Insulating Concrete Forms Manufacturers Association, or as we know them as ICFMA, a North American trade association dedicated to promoting the use of ICF as energy efficient and disaster resilient construction materials. Brian has worked in manufacturing for more than 15 years and in the building material industry for more than 12 and a, a native Oklahoma uh, of Oklahoma. He's an avid outdoorsman um, is active in his community is an Eagle scout and a national subcommittee member with the boy Scouts of America. So welcome to the hammer, Brian. Thanks Adam. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. And our, our discussion, of course uh, you know, I, 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 met up with uh, one of your colleagues from the board uh, of, uh, I, uh, ICFMA, and uh, he suggested that you would be a great person to talk to about uh, some of the technologies and uh, I guess the inherent properties of, of ICF. So uh, I hope you don't mind. We're going to grill you a little bit, not too, not too hard, but uh, hopefully it'll uh, land us with a little bit of uh, more knowledge about how this product can be used. Because uh, you know I've known it for quite a few years, and I'm, I'm seeing new and novel ways to, to make use of this versus what my knowledge was say 20 years ago. So uh, I, I hope you don't mind. I'll, uh, I'll hop into some questions and uh, and we can have a, a good little dialogue here and uh, hopefully helpful to our, to our readership across can across Canada. So, so. insulating con. Insulating concrete forms, uh, they've been around for quite some time. Um, As I said earlier, I think they landed on my radar probably about 20 years ago. Um, But, you know, just as a baseline, I I like to start out typically with a topic of this nature of let's, let's get a definition rolling. So, you know, if, if you're talking to somebody, it's, it's that old uh, cocktail party or the 20-second the elevator speech, you know, what's an ICF system? How, how would you describe it to somebody who's uh,
0: coming in green or, or new or holding a cocktail? So the interesting thing about ICFs is um, <clears throat> they were really developed during World War II, and it took another 25 years or so for them to sort of kind of settle in on materials. Um, and really in the late 80s is when they came together in sort of a very similar fashion to what you see them today. But the the 22nd elevator pitch for ICFs is that they are two EPS foam panels, which uh, EPS is styrofoam, but styrofoam is a trademark by Dow Corning, but EPS foam panels with embedded plastic ties or webs inside them that do several things. They hold the panels together so they can be filled with concrete. They provide uh, an integrated place for rebar to be put in the correct position for reinforcement of the concrete. And most important, they hold together and hold the concrete in uh, until it sets and cures. And then the beauty is that it all stays in place permanently and puts uh, extremely high density insulation in place in your wall system, all of that in one step. Nice. Now, since we're dealing with a builder audience, and again, you know,
1: it depends on on who we're talking to here. Uh, and in this case, it, it is the uh, um, people with a lot of experience on job sites and, and uh, and uh, forms and whatnot, um, can you outline some of the key differences maybe between uh, making use of this versus, say, the traditional wooden forms that many people think about when pouring foundation walls? Um, you know, what are some of the key uh, features and benefits? I know you alluded to a few of them, but uh, um, something that, uh, that say, a custom home builder might uh, might be interested in or uh, somebody taking on a, uh, you know, with our audience, it wouldn't be a, a, a um, um, you know, a 10-story high-rise or something like
0: that but there are other applications that go beyond just the basement of course right sure so <clears throat> the beauty of icfs and you know in in typical basement uh, foundations um they're going to use either aluminum steel or wood forms to to create what they need to do for that particular structure you can reuse those over and over again but you have to to come in put them in place set them up tie them all together put your Put your pieces in place and then pour them and then wait for them to set and then you come back and strike them and you've got a lot of manual labor to do those things the beauty of icfs is that you are eliminating multiple steps at one time so um, as soon as your footings and your frost walls are in um, you stack the forms up uh, you put rebar reinforcement in as you go um, and then once you fill them full of concrete they stay in place permanently And they have provided for you a class two vapor barrier. They have formed your walls. They have done the preferring for your walls for interior framing or exterior um, finishes, attachments, things like that. Um, And you've done all of that using very simple labor, very simple techniques. And at the end of the day, It's a very light material to work with. We're talking that a a normal block weighs about seven pounds. So when you look at other alternatives such as CMU or other types of materials that are also also often used, um, each one of the CMUs can weigh as much as 35 pounds. Um, And every time you place an ICF form, you are placing six of those in equivalent surface area all at once. So it takes something that takes lots of different materials and in this day and age, lots of different suppliers and supply chains and and manufacturing complexities, and it really distills it down into a single product that can be placed very simply, very easily by a wide variety of skilled labor or unskilled labor uh, to deliver a product that is extremely easy to keep straight, keep plumb, and to deliver the energy efficiency and then added disaster resilience benefits on top of that, um, no matter where you're building. Excellent.
1: Now, are there any differences, say, on the uh, the concrete um, that would be that would be used on um, in one of these forms or anything like that, uh, that uh, that our readers might want to be aware of so that they're, you know, when when, when you deal with uh, uh, suppliers and that you want to make sure you're getting the right, uh, the right mix, of course.
0: Um, <clears throat> pretty much all of the manufacturers will specify a specific concrete mix. Generally, it's a it's they call it an ICF mix. Most of the 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 um, ready mix companies, when you call them, are very familiar with it. Um, but it, you know, our spec, for example, is a, roughly a three h chip, chip mix at thirty five hundred psi. Uh, with or without fly ash which adds a little more lubrication to the mix now depending on the environment that you're pouring in uh, the temperatures you're pouring at other site conditions distances from the ready mix plant and challenges there can be additional additives that are added to make sure that 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 mix uh, performs as needed but at the end of the day it is a very simple very straightforward mix um, that is poured somewhere around a, a five to a six inch slump so that it is very workable and flows th- uh, freely through the, the forms themselves and is consolidated extremely well, making sure there's no air gaps, pockets. Um, and it is important to note that when you pour an ICF structure, that you are required to internally vibrate it, which reconsolidates that and removes any entrained air or, or any other gaps and make sure that, that uh, the concrete is tied up against rebar and uh, against the webs and to make sure that you've got a nice solid concrete wall.
1: Excellent um looking at one of the things that really stuck out to me with uh with this and it it harkens back i I spent 25 years dealing in mechanical and the big thing there was uh was build tight and and, uh, ventilate right and you know you you start looking at things like um uh air leakage and that r values and all of that and the the big thing for me that i I always loved I, i i don't have the poster anymore but there, I, I had this poster on my wall for years that it had this circle. It was a little bit larger than a basketball, and it showed all of the various, uh, I guess, escape routes of air um, and air infiltration that would happen in a building. So I've always had this huge interest in, in uh, sealing up up buildings right so when when you're talking about uh about icf and and um having the vapor barrier already there i i find that kind of cool so uh so um you know talk to me a little bit about, uh, about tight buildings, how the ICF forms could really, uh, assist in that, uh, in that endeavor. And, uh, I, I, love, like, I think one, one of the conversations I had at one point, because I'd come off, a, off of a site where you could almost heat the entire building. And we're talking about, it was, it was about a 6,000 or 7,000 square foot custom home. And I swear you could almost heat it with an incandescent light bulb. It was so tight. Um, but, uh, uh, talk to me a bit, a bit about you know, our values and, and, uh, and, and
0: uh, avoidance of gaps and stuff like that that, that uh, ICF can help with. So one of the nice things about ICFs in general <clears throat> is that um, properly poured, an ICF wall is completely airtight. So the foam itself uh, is a class two vapor barrier, so that's going to eliminate the need for house wraps and and other materials such as that. But the true beauty is that there's no air that can pass in or out through the solid ICF and the concrete core inside and then more of the, the foam on the interior and then the finishes. You know, <clears throat> we've all... Um, had that storm come through or, or a rainstorm and suddenly you can smell the change in the air, or you can feel the cool front blowing through. And what that really tells you is that <clears throat> that air from the outside has come all the way through to the inside um, and that, that you're losing energy when it, when it does that. With an ICF structure, and it's one of the things that as you look at the building codes and how they've evolved over the last 10 or 15 years, you know specifically addressed in the 2015 building codes in Canada, also continuing to be addressed in the the 2015 and 2018 codes in uh, the United States, and really more so in the 2020 building codes, and especially with the impact of the, the BC step codes and how they're translating to energy efficiency requirements. What you are looking at is really a sea change in thought of how we build our external walls. Those exterior walls are the only thing that stands between us and everything that wants to either make us spend more energy to heat or cool our homes, as well as keep out dust, dirt, allergens, critters, things like that. So in traditional frame construction, um, air movement through the walls is a is a principle that must be in place to ensure that as temperatures change outside you don't have a dew point that starts to occur inside the wall or if there is moisture that that does uh, condense in there there's enough air movement in and out of that insulation that allows that to maintain a dry healthy home and prevent mold and mildew and, and things like that <clears throat> you know it's it's interesting if you've ever done any remodeling or We're taking down a a wall that's been there for a while and you look at that nice bright pink insulation 10 or 15 years later is is a nice beautiful dingy gray because essentially it works as an air filter. um, For all of that dust and dirt it just it's one that's never changed so with an ICF wall because there is no air movement through that wall there is none of that infiltration or energy loss or anything through that wall system now. Um, as you mentioned earlier, it's it's very important to ventilate well, so you're going to be making sure that you bring in the proper number of air changes per hour that you're bringing in fresh air mix. They will use things like HRVs or ERVs, heat recovery vehicles or energy recovery vehicles that basically mix the heat energy, uh, either heating or cooling, between the outside or inside air to help precondition it before it's actually brought into the system and used inside of the house. But from a very structural standpoint, the design of an ICF home delivers air tightness at nearly unprecedented levels, which is one of the major reasons that it drives such energy performance. Um, The other major contributing factor to energy importance, and and I'll talk about our values in just a second, is um, that solid mass of concrete is very, very hard to change temperature we all know that you know during hot days in the summer or even when it's really really cold and we have to run out to get the mailbox to get some mail that that concrete is whatever temperature it, it has been most of the day so if it's a hot summer's day even late into the evenings that the sidewalks and your driveways are are still radiating that heat out into the night and you can just feel it um, same thing in the winter when it when, the, when it's cold outside it's cold outside and it takes a lot of energy to be able to make a change. Well, the benefit is because you have something that resists change so much, you've now placed it essentially inside of an ice chest. And because of the foam insulation uh, integrated into it on both sides of that, that means that it's never cold enough outside or warm enough outside for any length of time to dramatically change the temperature of that concrete core. And because that concrete core is also insulated from the outside changes and the inside changes, that means that if you go and touch the walls of your building um, and it's two degrees outside, the wall temperature is gonna be pretty stable. It's not gonna be that two degrees because that two degrees outside has never been able to be there long enough to cool down, to get through the foam, to cool that concrete down, to get through the insulation on the inside, to make the drywall or the finish on the inside cool to the touch. And the same thing is the same in the summer. It is not hot enough during solar uh, heating cycles or nighttime cooling cycles to really make a dramatic difference. So when you have a wall system that then doesn't change temperature and the walls and the floors inside are the largest surface area that you continually um, will take and have uh, contact with the air that you're circulating through your house without any of those issues. Then suddenly, the amount of energy you have to spend conditioning the air in your house to get it to be the temperature that you want it to be is dramatically less. Yeah, it's, it's uh,
1: in my head. I, I keep thinking about the tank style water heater where you know your temperature is dropping throughout the day, whether you're using the the hot water or not. The the burner's got to fire back up. So if you can minimize how much you're losing out of that. Then your your heater or your your, uh, your burner doesn't come on, and that's that's uh, energy savings.
0: Yeah, and you know the the places where you're still going to have energy loss are through openings, you know, doors and windows, and and people going in and out of the house, and cooking, and and things like that. But the amount that you're dealing with at that point is so much less than than if you were just basically letting the outside in and the inside out all the time. Yeah, yeah.
1: I had the uh the joy and pleasure it's it's funny with uh, radiant heat is is kind of cool with the um, uh my, my background in in uh in that world of the construction segment um the, I, I spent one year where i waited for a tv during black friday and they had us lined up in the freezer aisle and the temperature in there you don't realize it but you're radiating heat to those fr- those fridges and i tell you Ten minutes in, a lot of us were starting to shiver and not knowing why. And I said, "Ah, light bulb went off. It's because we're radiating that constantly. So if you if you mitigate what uh, I guess the temperature differential between an object, in which case it was me, I, I can call myself an object at times uh, in that in that application for sure. And what what my surroundings were, of course, you know, if you if you minimize that gap, it's it's your energy loss or energy uh, movement." is so much less. So that's, uh, I, I, I love the way you described all of that. It's uh, it makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Well, and, and you know, a lot of people get super hung up on our value and our value is interesting because it's a logarithmic scale. It's not a linear scale. Um, so you're not going up by a fixed increment, you know, typically increases in, in um, our values are, 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 they're exponential by nature. And so, what you get to, um, and it's interesting if you if you look at both the uh, the U.S. and the Canadian code, there are specific differences in there for how they talk about mass walls via cavities, and there the the characteristics. It it's sort of like um, I guess I'd say it's sort of like the difference between you know jet fuel or rocket fuel and the stuff that we put in our cars, right? Some of it has more bang for their buck. So. A mass wall, for example, can have a much lower R value, um, but it's going to perform at a much, much higher level. And that is true whether it's structural brick, that's true whether it's, uh, you know, cast in place concrete, that's true from a lot of different things. And it comes down to just the ability for that wall to resist a way to change temperature. And cavity walls will typically need... much higher r value to be able to resist um that sort of change in temperature and the way you get that are, are other types of insulation materials whether that's spray foam whether that's blown in cellulose much more densely packed things like that but the building code in the us and canada specifically call out the differences for the way mass walls perform um versus cavity walls so an icf typically. Um, has about around two and a half inches two and five eighths inches of EPS foam insulation on either side of that cavity Um, and so as the materials sit there on a material basis they they're about an R22 to an R23 depending on how you calculate the the full assembly itself. Now the, one of the things our industry association has done, um, and we've repeated this uh, two or three times now, uh, at, at several independent labs just to verify results, is that that R22 material will perform at its worst closer to an R27 or an R28. And the way they tested that is they they put it in this hot box apparatus. And they 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 dropped it to negative thirty five degrees Celsius on one side of the wall, and they maintained um, seventy degrees Fahrenheit, um, which uh, what is that about thirty five or so um, uh, uh, Celsius? I'm, I'm trying to think. You're, you're getting
1: me to do some quick math. The uh, it's what double and add thirty, isn't it?
0: <laughs> something like that. I, I'm in the states. The only things we do well in metric are uh, is soda. So. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, the temperature, the
1: temperature are, difference for sure, yeah. yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they maintain room temperature on one side and they maintain negative 35 degrees Celsius, um, which is about the same in Fahrenheit at that temperature on the other side of the wall. Yeah. And they, they looked at something called steady state. So what happens is they waited until that wall temperature came down to where they could start to manage, to measure the energy flow from one side to the other. And to where they looked at where they had and when they had to start adding energy to maintain that system. So the ICF wall um, gave you nearly 120 hours before they had to actually start adding energy to that system to maintain that room temperature on the other side. Whereas cavity framed walls and other materials, and they looked at two by four, they looked at two by six, they looked at, um, you know, some continuous insulation, all sorts of things. Um, Basically, after about 35 hours, that cavity wall was starting to have a significant amount of energy that was added to it. So when you look at how R value performs, it's not just about, you know, the R value, which I, I think the R value of those cavity walls was somewhere in. Was was an R eighteen or R twenty somewhere in there? So they were similar on a materials basis, but that the mass of that concrete made such a huge difference in that wall's ability to resist changing temperature. So in a in a natural disaster situation where you have a huge storm or something that comes through and and you lose power, think about it in a you know in an assisted living center or a nursing home or or even where people are, are in homes. You have now gained. You know, three to four days of lead time while that structure is still habitable in an ICF structure, whereas after a very short amount of time, um, whatever temperature it is outside is going to be whatever temperature it is inside. And it's just one more of those benefits that give you um, that thermal lag and sort of give you an extended time to shelter in place comfortably. Um, And then if, you know, especially if you're able to add other heat sources or things during those sort of events, it just gives you a much more um, safe place to be able to stay um, and a much more resilient structure.
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the uh, the things that I, I recall from uh, all my years dealing with in-floor heating and stuff like that, where you'd have uh, pipes in, in concrete. When it's embedded in a concrete floor, the thermal mass on there, it takes a long time to get up or get down in temperature, but it's the benefit when you don't have temperature change going on by, I guess, by design or something hits it, and it's it's not a controlled uh, intended hope that it's going to change in temperature it'll actually hold that temperature for much much longer so yeah it's it's always been one of those nice benefits of uh those warm toasty floors that we get sometimes yeah not at not my own house i wish i wish but uh... <laughs> um so w- one of the things i know for myself when i got introduced to icf and then i'm going back you know I I earned the gray hair I've been around for for long enough um but my my first introduction to it it was very much a pitch to this can be used for basements and uh I know some of the uh the projects out this way I think there's some eight-story buildings going on using these so talk to me a little bit about the uh, uh about the applications of these and and the fact that uh yes you can use them for the uh for the basement foundations out our way but uh you know, there's there's so much more
0: to them than that. So uh, I would say the sky's the limit, only halfway joking. So, you know, in basement foundation construction, um, the speed at which you could come in and stack a basement in a day or a half and pour it that afternoon or the next day, um, once you have your inspections done and then move on and you don't have to come back and you don't have to strike um, forms and carry them out. You'll have an alignment system typically um, that is used to make sure the wall uh, stays straight and plumb. And provides a, a working platform at height as you continue stacking, um, but you know you've got you know twenty five or forty of those or so that you're moving um, that are are pretty lightweight in and of themselves, um, and you're in and out very very quickly. So that allows uh, whether you're a production home builder or a custom home builder, that allows you to accelerate your timeline. And because essentially you're working with giant building blocks that all lock together. Um, you know, your ability to, you're not working about mortar joints and, you know, it's pretty easy to keep them straight and plumb. And, and so, you know, generally crews have somebody who is skilled and experienced, and then you can add additionally unskilled labor, um, or as we like to call that people who will soon become skilled um, <clears throat> uh, to, to learn how to do this process. And, you know, the education is one of the biggest pieces of how the ICFMA is focused on the industry and as well as all the member companies, because whether you're teaching DIYers or, or contractors from another industry, such as masons or, or other concrete contractors, this material is just very, very friendly to learn how to work with. Um, you know, the ground is a much better conductor of heat than it is an insulator. Um, And we see this all the time and probably one of the best examples is that, uh, ICFs are continuing to be used to build more and more swimming pools and other water type features. Cause if you're in an area where you're going to have to heat that, uh, you want to keep that water as insulated as possible. And ICFs are a very, very easy way to do that. Um, but I said earlier that the sky's the limit. So, um, to date, I believe the tallest ICF building, um, that was built is in Waterloo, uh, in Ontario. Um, and it was Not a, far it was from a, where
1: I sit right now, so good, yeah. Good. yes. So
0: <laughs> it is a 22-story student housing dormitory. So all of the weight-bearing walls for ICF, I believe they used a 12-inch concrete core, which probably has another five inches of insulation on it. So it's about a 17 or 18-inch uh, thick wall that they built. Um, but it's 22 stories and is extremely energy efficient. Um, there's a really great article. won several awards. There's a really great article on ICF Builder magazine, um, which has a lot of features and, and recognizes a lot of the unique and, and outstanding work that's been done over the last 25 or 30 years uh, in the ICF industry.
1: Cool. Yeah. It's, it's nice when, uh, when the examples, uh, and being a Canadian magazine, very often I get told stories about things and it's like, okay, but can they be done here? So it's great when the example is actually in Canada and you know that uh, they they would have had to navigate the Canadian codes and all of that. And, uh, and sometimes our weather, I'm, I'm I'm spoiled here. I I always call uh, my my neck of the woods. I'm in uh, Burlington, Ontario, and we don't get hit with the level of severe weather that some parts of the country do. But, uh, but, you know, the Waterloo region, they, they know snow over there too. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good to know that, that uh, the product is, is, viable and, uh, and um, there's a, a good example of it there.
0: So I, I would say that the, the Canadian um, market has been at some of the forefront of ICF development over the last 30 or 40 years. Several of the major manufacturers uh, in North America and even globally are based in Canada. Um, And a lot of the research that we have done as an industry has really been focused on the building envelope and how it performs in climate zones that are a little more common um, in in your neck of the woods. Um, I'm in Oklahoma, which is, you know, north of of Texas, south of Kansas, and it's really windy. Um, And uh, we do a fair amount of ICF construction here, but especially in cold climates is where... A lot of that design work and build and construction has really gone on, though the benefits in warm, uh, warmer climate zone, even tropical, subtropical climate zones, um, has been proven as well, uh, specifically throughout the Caribbean, Central America, and in other places around the world. And the two weeks of summer that we get, right? Uh Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, pretty much. <laughs> that's that's the big joke on the on the uh, Great White North up here. It's it's uh, it's snow all the time, except for those two weeks in July, and it's awesome. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, jurisdiction to jurisdiction, is there um, is there much difference in like I know Canada? We're trying to um, uh, work off of a bit of a standardized code system, but there's still some variance that happens. Um, you know, with codes you know having navigated codes for for eons um it's it's Quite difficult at times because you might have a jurisdiction that decides you're going a, a different route or they've interpreted in a certain way. Are there much differences um, on the ICF front? That uh, because our our listeners would be from coast to coast. So if somebody's looking to use this, say in Ontario versus Manitoba, is there anything that kind of stands out that uh, that is it worth checking to make sure, or is it already in the code? Um, you know, what what kind of advice? would you have for uh for say a builder who um might play you know they might know the rules very well in their own jurisdiction but uh, they've got a client that wants a uh, uh wants a home built you know
0: 400 miles out um most everything is covered in the code i i would say that the the canadian code cycles especially the last couple have really done an excellent job of simplifying and organizing around a few guiding principles Um, specifically around uh, not only concrete construction, but ICF construction. So one of the, the ways I can illustrate that is that the ICFMA, all of the different, all eight of the member companies came together a few years ago, and we were able to publish a unified prescriptive engineering that is stamped in all territories and provinces for using ICFs. So it doesn't matter if you're in British Columbia, if you're in the Maritimes, um uh, or any of the territories you can take this single engineering guide which has been stamped and use it to build um, with at least any of the member companies um products so it's a single unified source for engineering Bef- before that um you know they, they've moved to the a specific code section for code approvals away from materials basis um Uh, which was the CCMC, they moved to uh, a specific code section compliance. Um, And so that has really simplified both adoption, acceptance, and provided a lot of information to building inspectors who may or may not have been familiar with it uh, broadly, or maybe in only certain types of applications, and provided them a really great resource for education and for reference for architects, engineers, designers, and, and code and building professionals um, to determine uh, how how to make sure that that structure is being built um, the best way possible and that meets code. Awesome. That's yeah, nice to have a resource like that, that you can turn to where
1: you're not trying to reinvent the wheel with, with a new inspection uh, uh, crew and all of that. So uh, um, what about curing times and, and stuff like that? Is there any impact on, on how long it takes to uh, once the concrete's poured and um, you know, versus a, a uh, I, I guess the, the type of foundation that say my house has right now. Cause I'm not, I don't have an ICF. I don't know that it would have been uh, an option at the time. So.
0: The, uh, so curing is really interesting. So basically everybody's um, concrete mix design is based off of a 28 day. It's an industry standard. They want to know where that concrete will test out as. So, so if they pour something and they come back and they they drill out a test cylinder and then they go test it, that that strength will be at what the design mix was required it to be at 28 days. Um, The secret to concrete curing without other additives and things like that is really water. So basically when you take concrete and you put it inside of an ICF, um, there's really no way for all of that water that's in the mix to get out. So what happens is that chemical reaction, which stops when water goes away, um, continues going. And so what that means is that concrete continues to get stronger and stronger and stronger over that same time and will continue to cure and become stronger um, up to several months after uh, that concrete has been poured. So like I said earlier, our traditional mix is a 3H chip mix at 3,500 PSI. That 3,500 PSI PSI concrete will probably test out somewhere around 4,000 to 4,500 PSI over the next few months. And that is simply because it's what we call a moist cure process, meaning that all of that water that the wind and air would have just like wicked it out to the the sides and it would have evaporated when traditional forms are pulled um, doesn't happen because it is going to continue happening inside of that because there's no place for the water to go. Um, It's also one of the benefits when you're pouring concrete, especially in extremely cold weather, that... um, well, the sides of those forms are already insulated, so you pretty much only have to cover the tops, um, even if you're pouring in extremely cold weather. I know that that we did a project uh, many years ago, and I think they poured it, and it was around negative 30 with 20-mile-an-hour winds, and they, they poured it, and it sat in, and it turned out to be a beautiful building. Nice. Um, now, um,
1: fasteners and stuff like that, I know when we... Uh... Uh, we put in a uh a deck and of course you you know depending on how you've built uh, i've i've fastened into the foundation um is is that a concern at all with uh, with an icf is are there special fasteners is there are there special instructions that uh it it would be best to ensure that you're going to the manufacturer of the uh of the product you've used what
0: uh walk me through a bit of that I mean, we're always going to recommend that whatever you're attaching, that you go to the manufacturer, because they're going to have tested and looked at best practices. Um, So it depends. Um, There are a number of different types of hangers systems out there. Um, uh, Berman is who is used quite a bit for roof attachments. Um, hurricane attachments, things like that they also make a whole series of ledger attachments. so if you're going to do an embed and then put a, a ledger uh, rim joist or something around it so that you're going to attach a deck or something like that that way you can very easily uh, in the design in the building process cut out to embed anchor bolts. a lot of people still want to embed anchor bolts back for super heavy attachments for heavy decks, things that are going to be cantilevered out, things like that. Um, but generally, there's not special screws. so ever every manufacturer will have slightly different weight ratings of their their web attachments, which is typically about a half inch behind that foam. You'll have a, an inch and a half wide flange that may or be may or not be completely continuous. Um, up and down, and they're in depending on the manufacturer, they're typically spaced somewhere between eight inches or six inches apart. So you're gonna have an attachment every six to eight inches horizontally and almost continuously vertically. Um, you know, drywall on the inside, it's it's a coarse drywall screw um outside you know uh if you're using hardy siding or, or one of the others they have some some specific requirements and types of screws and there's probably some consideration if you are doing attachments in extremely cold weather you you don't want to drive some things with too much force because things become a little more brittle when it's cold but generally um the same way you would attach it to to wood out wood furring or even to cmu or others Um, It's very easy to use most any type of attachment. But like I said, check with the manufacturer. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you have something you're really concerned about, you can very easily remove the foam and attach directly back into that concrete, whether you're drilling and epoxying something much stronger like an anchor bolt, or whether you're just tap conning in.
1: I, I it's funny because my, my big fallback has always been check with the manufacturer. They're the ones that would know more about anything else. And, uh, there's nothing worse than, uh, than hearing after the fact, well, if you'd just come to us and ask the question, we could have walked you through it. Right. So, uh Always always good advice, um but you know not all of us sometimes are just you're, you're gung ho into something and away you go, right? Um, so um I, any other key points that would help our listeners, or can I just bug you for some info about uh, maybe some favorite projects? You've, um, you've seen
0: a few of these, right? I, I, you know i I have seen everything from tiny homes uh, to fifteen thousand square foot starter castles, um four bedrooms, of course. <laughs> Um, you know the. I think the. I think the key takeaway um, would be to not be afraid of a different type of mobil- of building material. ICFs have been commonplace for more than twenty five years now, um, with some of the earliest um, uh, ICF projects built in the the early to mid nineties. Um, everybody has standardized around a common set of evaluation and testing reports. You know, they're being used, like I mentioned, the 22 story building there earlier, Um, you know, in the states, the it's one of the key driving factors for uh, school districts looking to build net zero or net zero ready um, structures. So um, imagine, you know, schools that can can generate more energy than they need um, for some of these buildings that we were building that, you know, they're going to long outlive many of us in their useful life. And so if we can make those as energy efficient as possible, the, the neatest thing about ICFs are some of the other applications. I mentioned ICF pools, earlier cisterns, things like that. Um, storm shelters, you know, ICFs inherently, uh, deliver a four hour fire rating. So in areas that are prone to wildfires and other issues, Um, ICFs will deliver four hours of continuous fire protection um, as that fire is moving through. So as long as you've done the other things necessary, you know, remove vegetation, you've done um, proper soffit venting and roof venting to prevent embers from getting to the inside and starting a fire, odds of that structure surviving are very, very, very likely. Um, even in coastal construction, where you're dealing with high winds and frigid temperatures and and storms and hurricanes and and all the other types of of weather events, we're becoming more and more used to. Um, ICS perform extremely well. Um, you know, it's one of those it's one of those materials that um, at the end of the day, it can be most anything you want it to be, um, and whatever it's going to be is going to be comfortable.
1: Excellent.
0: And then any any
1: favorite ones that uh, favorite builds are are you able to, to select one or two from your uh, your, your your repertoire of uh, of what you've seen or what you've been involved in over the years? Or
0: I've seen some like I've seen some very unique uh, Catholic churches um, built that are out of it that are very very you know they look like a, what you would think of as a traditional ornate Catholic church um, and being in you know the the thing that sets an ICF structure apart from anything else is when you walk inside, it's, it's dead quiet. Um, I mean, I'm sitting in my office here. I'm in an ICF building that was built in the mid-90s. Um, outside of my office is a six-lane major highway with tons of traffic back and forth, and you can't hear anything at all. Um, I've been in several beautiful schools that you walk in and Um, and you know, whether they're near, um, loud areas, airports, things like that, it creates a really neat learning environment. Um, I mentioned the castle project. That is one of my favorites. Um, it was a a couple that wanted to build a a small Frank Lloyd Wright inspired home and instead built a 15,000 square foot starter castle, uh, (laughs) as they, they like to call it. Um, and did most of the work themselves. It was, uh, I think that's one of the other takeaways that I probably haven't mentioned is that, that ICFs. Um, Though it's good to use a professional and a contractor, they are also very, very DIY friendly. So if you're looking at trying to do your home themselves, uh, yourself, um, one of my favorite projects also is uh, is a couple, uh, he's an Amazon engineer and and she's a travel agent and their two kids at the time they started um, were six and seven, I think they're now um, 11 and 12. But they built a 7,000 square foot total off-grid, in-floor radiant heating um, home uh, in the uh, in the forests of uh, basically southern Appalachia, and uh, just seeing seeing them do all of that work themselves with some volunteers, some help from church and and their kids and and other things, and watching that project come to fruition was just really really neat to see that you know. Um, you know, with enough education and, and training and resources online and videos that that it's it's easy to take something like this type of building material um, and build something that that your heart uh, has inspired you to do. Awesome, awesome.
1: And then I uh, I'll just wrap up. I think on on uh, noting that you know we brought you in, of course, because of the uh, industry association. Um, Um, and you've been very good about, uh, about doing that, about talking very broadly about this, um, and, and being neutral. So I really appreciate that. Um, but, uh, you know, between... What your company offers, as well as what the association offers, uh, let our reader or let our listeners know, and our readers, because of course I'm going to push this out through all our social media channels as well. Let them know where they can get more information. Um, you know, if if they are looking for that education piece, if they've never worked with this before, and they're a little bit nervous. Of course, listening to to what I'm hearing here that, that there shouldn't be that nervous factor, but it also always helps to, uh, to connect with the experts. And, uh, I've always said, don't be the, the, uh, most knowledgeable in the room, find that person and pick their brain. Hence why I'm here on, on the, on the podcast with you. So, but where, where can they find more information?
0: Probably the easiest place for everyone to go would be the ICFMA website, which is, uh, ICF-MA.org. Um, All the different brands are represented there. You will see tons of examples of projects. You will have access to the technical testing and things that we've done as an industry. You can download the engineering guide yourself to look at it and and get a sense of of what you might be in for if you decided to to have something built or to take that to your architect or designer um, so that they have all of those as references. Um, And you'll see um, some of the neat projects that we've partnered with. Um, through the Build with Strength program uh, here in North America with the NRMCA and Habitat for Humanity International, um, as our industry has has been building ICF houses for the last couple of years. I think we're uh, roughly 32 homes have been built in North America so far um, through this program. And so it's just a neat way to to showcase that type of construction um, at, at all economic levels. Awesome. And
1: Brian, thank you for taking part in today's discussion. I, I know I've learned a few things. Uh, I hope our listeners have as well. And uh, for listeners looking for more information about these uh, concrete form technologies, please, as Brian said, visit icf.ma, or sorry, dash ma.org. I got my d- dot ahead of my dash there, but it is icf-ma.org. And there's a wealth of information on there that can hopefully help. And, uh, again, Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat with me and uh, share some knowledge and whatnot. And, uh, and uh, with that, I, I think I'll, uh, I'll just uh, thank our, our listeners as well here. And uh, say until the next time, on behalf of Brian and myself, um, this is Adam Friel, editor of Canadian Contractor Magazine, urging you to stay safe out there and build good things. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to The Hammer. You can find episodes online at canadiancontractor.com or subscribe on your favorite podcasting service. The Hammer is presented by Canadian Contractor Magazine.